Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. A big thanks to uh, everybody that helped out behind the scenes with the Christmas program. What a blessing that was. Hey, let's have a quick word of prayer here before we move on with everything. Heavenly Father, it was just great to mention all your different names this morning and just to talk about your son. And I just pray, Lord, as we get ready to get into this, you would teach, we would listen, that your spirit guide and direct, and thank you. Thank you for the time to be here in your name. Amen. Hey, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. We've got a couple of just quick announcements we want to mention. You know, Matt shared about the ministry there of helping people with cars in the winter. Uh, Angel Tree back there in the back, the Christmas meals. Just a couple quick outreaches. You know, one of the things that we always say out here is we don't want to limit this to just these four walls. The whole purpose is to know who God is, grow in your walk with Christ, and then go out and impact the world with that. couple quick opportunities for some outreach. Going on the 20th in Hamler, they're going to be doing Christmas caroling. But they're going to do Christmas caroling with a little bit of a twist can be handing out cookies, but also, most importantly, handing out Bibles as they go door to door. So what a neat outreach that is. Coming up in January, uh, we've been praying about this for a long time. Donna Plumber had the vision. God brought this together. We're going to be doing a kids' club class over in Holgate at the school starting January 12th through March 15th. Great opportunity. This is going to be on Tuesdays from 3 to 4 p.m. to teach the kids about Jesus. If you have a heart for that, if that stirs your spirit, see Donna. Uh, Donna's right there, two hands already up in the the air. If you got a heart for Holgate, a heart for Kit, now Donna's standing. We, we need to stop because if you don't know Donna, we don't know where it's going to go. So if you got a heart for Holgate, a heart for kids, prayerfully consider that a great opportunity to get out there and just really be an outreach to that. So a couple of things there, car care coming up the 19th, free oil exchange service check. That's at Tom's Auto Sales and Dashler. Sign up sheets back there to my right. Uh, what do we have here? We got Christmas Eve on the 24th, New Year's event the 31st, uh, what? and Christmas program on choir practice. Yes. Yes. Liz, is, Liz has a heart here to do the choir for Christmas Eve, and so Liz and I were joking. If everybody got a shirt, maybe everybody would show up. So if you have an interest in being part of the choir for Christmas Eve, practice uh, after church today. Not too late, right, Liz? It's only the 13th of December. No sarcasm in that announcement at all there. So none at all in any way whatsoever. Check the bulletin. Check the bulletin board website, Facebook page. Hey, winter weather cancellation. If we have to cancel church, we'll send out a text, an email, or a phone call. Uh, we'll also be on the website. also be on the Facebook page. If you're not signed up for that, we need you to sign up. Please list us in the back. If you signed up last year, you don't need to sign up again this year. I believe that's most of the big stuff there. As always, check that stuff and prayerfully consider getting involved with those things. All right, hey, Matthew chapter 2. Continuing our study here through the book of Matthew. We started last week in Matthew, and we talked about the genealogy of Jesus. And we were introduced to Joseph when we talked about the obedience to Joseph. Joseph doesn't get a lot of attention during the Christmas season. Most of the focus is rightfully so on Christ. And also a lot of it is on Mary. But in Matthew, you see it from Joseph's perspective. And we really talked about the one word for Joseph is obedience. And we're going to build on that here in the next couple of weeks as we study more into this. But now we're into Matthew chapter 2. There's really two accounts in the Gospels of the birth of Christ. The Luke one is the one we're most familiar with. But the one here in Matthew takes it from a little bit different direction. Now, we're going to read a chunk of this in Matthew chapter 2. But if you're a note taker, I want you to write down these three words. These three words. First word is hostility. The next word is indifference, and the third word is worship. First word is hostility. The second word is indifference, and the third word is worship. 
We're going to see people and how they fit into that. So let's read this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is it written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Jump ahead to verse 16, please. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. There was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Hostility, indifference, and worship. We're going to go through some of these characters here that we talked about this morning, and then we're going to see where they fit in. Let's first introduce our first one here. Herod, verse 1. Herod. Now, there's like five different Herods mentioned in the New Testament. And as time goes on, we'll explain what these different ones were. But the Herods did not come from a very good line. The Herods were the ones that were responsible for the massacre here of the kids. They were also the ones that made sure that uh, John the Baptist was beheaded, that James was killed, Peter was in prison. And these are all descendants of Herod, grandkids, great-grandkids, nephews. This Herod specifically that we're talking about right now, history tells us that he had his wife killed, his mom killed, his brother-in-law killed, and three of his own sons killed. So when we see what he does here in Bethlehem in verse 16, that should not surprise us in any way whatsoever because that was his nature. This man was paranoid with power. He always thought people were coming to him to try to take his power. So anytime someone in his family looked like they were possibly, potentially doing that, he just had them executed. So isn't it fascinating here that this man who is obsessed with power and wanting to be in charge, the wise men show up to look for the king but he's not the king they're looking for. Now, who's our next character? Well, we have the wise men. Now, we've talked about this before. We don't know how many there were. There could have been three. There could have been 300. We don't know. They're not named, and they're most probably not in the manger. One commentator I heard said, if you really want to make your manger scene look realistic, put your wise men about four miles away, because that's probably how it was. We know from the context clues, it looks like the wise men did not show up at the birth of Christ. Verse 9, he's referred to as a young child. Verse 11, it refers to him being in the house. And also in verse 16, Herod says children under two were to be executed. It's quite possible that they showed up fairly recently after Jesus was born, but the context clues seem to show that they maybe even came months and months later. That's about the wise men. Bethlehem, where he was born, that's a nothing town. Home of David, but it's really of no significance. Six miles south of Jerusalem, it's really not that big a deal. Kind of just a nothing town where he was born. 
And we're going to get to here in a little bit that he was raised up in Nazareth, which was also another nothing town. But it's kind of a neat point because God, who is God, came to us, a nothing people, to love us and to be with us. I mean, if you would want to make a point, shouldn't he have been born in Rome? Shouldn't he have been born in the palace? No, he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. These little nothing towns to show his heart. What about his star? This star, this star almost seems to have a personality on its own. Verse 9, where it says, When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. There's been so much speculation about the star. You know, there's the idea of there were maybe planets that were, you know, conjunction of planets, something like that. I don't know. We really don't know for sure. I've always kind of looked at the star as probably something unique. Just like Jonah when he was swallowed by the fish. We just got done going through Jonah and there was always the speculation. Was it a whale? Was it a whale shark? Was it this? You know, I've always kind of leaned towards it was something unique that God created. Was this star something special in the sky that he aligned? It's quite possible. The heavens declare the glory of God. But at the same time, it could have been something special. Maybe it was kind of like the pillar of fire that led, that led the Israelites out of Egypt. Because this star seems to be very special. And plus, it's called his star. His star. And our last group of people, the chief priests, the scribes. These were the rulers of authority in the temple at the time. The scribes were the experts in the law. These were the wise men of the time. They knew this. They knew the scriptures. That's why when they wanted to know what was going on, they came to them to say, what does the scripture say about this? So those are our characters. We got Herod. We got the Magi, the wise men. We got the chief priest. We talked about the star, Bethlehem. Now, let's put this all together because those three words that we talked about, hostility, indifference, and worship. First guy, Herod, where does he fall into this group? See, because here's the thing. When you come and you present the gospel to somebody, that's going to be usually one of the uh, reactions to it. When you come to present Christ to somebody, they're either going to respond with hostility. It troubles them. It bothers them. Maybe it makes them angry. It makes them frustrated. That's one. The next reaction is indifference. Hey, that's great for you. I'm glad it works out for you. Last one is worship. Now, I tell you this. If I share the gospel with somebody, the one I want to see is worship, right? You want to see people come to know Christ. If I can't get worship, I'll take hostility. Because at least it shows the spirit is moving and the spirit is working. They're troubled. They're convicted. You know what the worst one is? Indifference. They just don't care. They just don't care. And you know what? You know what's killing the witness of the church today? Lukewarm, apathetic Christians. They acknowledge Christ, that he exists, but there is an indifference towards him. And this is something that you see all the time. We as a world and as a society here in America, especially, you know, we don't shy away from this concept of of Christmas. You know, when I first started working, I worked at Walmart for about four years, and I had a boss at Walmart that I don't know what was wrong with her. I don't know if she was the female version of Ebenezer Scrooge or whatever. She hated Christmas. So back then, we shut down at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So she would tell me every year, and I worked Christmas Eve, that at 5 p.m., I want you to start taking down the decorations. And so that way, when she showed up back to work on the 26th, that there was nothing in our department that reminded her of Christmas. Nothing. And you know, if you've ever worked in retail before, you know, they start playing Christmas music in May or something like that. So, you know, you hear this Christmas music all the time. So I worked it there for four years, and I kind of soured on Christmas music. So I got done with Walmart, and then years later, I really started to fall in love with Christmas music again. 
And now what do you notice? All these stations that would normally play secular music, they stop. And for a month or two, what do they do? They play Christmas music. Are these all artists that sing secular songs, what do they do? They all come out with a Christmas CD. So all of a sudden, the world, who really doesn't care too much about Jesus, for about a month, starts singing about him. And have you ever listened to the lyrics of Christmas carols? They are some of the most blatantly Christ-centered lyrics that you could ever imagine. I was listening to the song, Oh Come, All You Faithful. And here's this guy singing it, not in a Christian band, but he is just singing this thing with Pat. And you're stopping, you're thinking, my goodness, these words, these powerful words are being broadcast over the airwaves about Christ coming and dying for our sins and grace and mercy. I mean, think about that. But once December 25th comes around, because these stations that I listen to, they're already announcing they're going back to the regular format December 28th. It's like we're going to focus on Christ for about six weeks, but then December 28th, we're right back to where we want to be. That indifference. See, Isaiah says this. Isaiah 29, verse 13. You don't need to turn there. Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. One translation says, and their worship is done through rules and regulations. See, that's what we see. We see mouths that proclaim the Lord. We see lips that proclaim the Lord. But we see hearts that are far removed from it. That's the indifference we're talking about. So let's break down these people. Herod, where does he fall? He obviously falls under hostility, right? He's angry. His kingdom is threatened. I mean, can you imagine from Herod's perspective? You're sitting there on your throne. All of a sudden, someone comes up to you and says, Herod, we have these people. They came from the far east. They're bearing gifts. They've come to see the king of the Jews. Can you imagine how Herod probably puffed up his chest a little bit? They thought he came to see him. So they come in. And what do they want to know? Where was he born? Where's the Christ? What is Herod's response to this? Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Troubled, that word means disturbed, commotion, restless, fear and dread. His kingdom is threatened. He has no problems killing his family members. One Roman emperor said this about Herod. It was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because this is how ruthless this man was. So now he's troubled. And what happens when you're troubled? Verse 3, all Jerusalem is troubled with him. Here real quick, people. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, listen up. If you're troubled, guess what happens? That trouble trickles down to the rest of the people in your family. It just happens. So, Dad, if you're troubled spiritually, guess what's going to happen? You're going to come home. You're troubled in life. You're restless. You have fear, dread, commotion. You're going to come home. You're probably going to snap at your spouse, your wife. Then what happens? Your wife's going to get troubled. She's going to snap at the kids. Kids, next thing you know, are troubled, and they're going to be snapping at the dog. Dog snaps at the cat. You know where it goes from here. Trouble trickles down. Well, you may say, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. You're going to show up to work. You're troubled. You already got to work, and you're already in a bad mood. Guess what happens? Everybody in your line is going to be troubled. You're driving to work. You're troubled. You're going to get upset at other people around you. Trouble trickles down. Wherever you're at, you're going to start finding yourself impatient with cashiers and people on the phone because trouble trickles down. You're troubled, and then your sphere of influence will be troubled as well. Because why? We're not where we're supposed to be spiritually. So what do we do when we're troubled? Well, we do what everybody should do. Verse 8, we put on a false front. He sent them to Bethlehem. Herod, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. 
See, when we're troubled spiritually, we put on the fake front. Herod's fake front. Oh, let me know when you find him because I want to worship him too. Troubled. See, when I talk to people who are troubled, this is normally what I hear. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going fine. You're doing okay. I'm doing fine. How's your time in the Word? Oh, it could be better, but it's okay. How's the prayer time? Oh, it's okay. Hey, pastor, don't you worry about me. You go take care of those other people. I'm fine. It's the false front. We all do it. Every one of us. But that hostility is there because our spirit is not right. There's that conviction. We know we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually. And so therefore, that spiritual then failing becomes the hostility. It becomes the frustration. Well, what's the next group? What about the scribes and the priests? They knew. I mean, think about this. Who's the people that would have the answer to where the Messiah is born? Well, the scribes and the priests, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, they knew Micah 5, verse 2. They had all the answers they knew. It's been said many times that the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. You know it, but it's not part of your heart. Here in our lesson today, the distance between heaven and hell is six miles because that's how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem. Think about this. Scribes and priests are there. These magi show up. They come from hundreds of miles away. They're telling this story about this star. They're bringing gifts. They come and say, where would he be born? Well, we know where he'd be born. He'd be born in Bethlehem. Hey, we're going to go to Bethlehem. Hey, do you want to come with us? No, we're going to stay here. Indifference. Not hostile. Complete, utter indifference. It goes back to what we read in Isaiah. Their lips are saying the right thing. Their mouth is saying the right thing. But their heart is far from Him. And when you look at the church today in America, you see a lot of saying the right things. But where's the heart at? Our heart has become indifferent. I wonder for some of us, have we been walking with the Lord so long that sometimes it just kind of becomes what we do? I mean, yeah, we do devotions because that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, yeah, I pray because that's what we're supposed to do. What about me as a pastor? I prepare messages. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I witness to people. Why? Well, because that's what I'm supposed to do. It almost becomes just this is what we do. Remember what Jesus told the church in in the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He goes ahead and he compliments them. All these good things that they're doing, their works, their labors, all this wonderful stuff. I know your work, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You're doing everything right, people. That's what he's saying to this church. You're out there working for me, but the problem is you've become so busy serving God, you forgot why you're serving God. So then Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Hey, you're doing everything right, but you came indifferent. See, a lot of times in the body of Christ, you see people that they're not going to go out and do something morally stupid. They're not going to go out and do something awfully wrong. They got the right words. They got the right lips. But the heart's just not there. There's not a passion. There's not an excitement for this. So what do we have left? we got the Magi now. What did they want? Verse 2, they wanted nothing. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Only thing they wanted to do was worship. That's all they wanted to do was just worship. And what did they do? Verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. 
That's all they wanted to do was worship. They, they, they were not desiring to get anything. They just wanted to give. They brought gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold represents the king. King gold there. Frankincense represents the priest. That's what was used in the sacrifices. Myrrh represents his death. That was used in the embalming process of the Jews. So you have this concept of Jesus right there. And the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you have the gospel of Christ in a nutshell. He is God who is king, who came down to be our priest, to die on the cross for our sins, the myrrh through his death. That's everything right there. But they just came to just worship. Wow. Sometimes we've lost that, haven't we? Haven't we lost that? I just want to be here for you, Lord. Lord, it's not about me today. It's just about you. What can I do for you today, Lord? Lord, what, what do you want me to get out of the word this morning? Lord, I just want to spend time in worship and prayer towards you and nothing else. I just want to leave a gift at the altar for you. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get troubled, disturbed, because things aren't going my way and my little kingdom and my world is falling apart. I'm not going to be indifferent. I'm not going to have all the answers but not do anything with it. But Lord, I just want to worship you. Think about that. Think about poor Mary. As we mentioned last week, most people believe Mary at this time was probably a teenager, maybe as young as 14, 15, a little bit older than that. And think of Mary's whirlwind the previous nine months. She's betrothed to Joseph, as we mentioned last week. That took about a year. So that means they were ready to be married. She is then visited by the Lord. He drops the news on her, you're going to have a kid. Don't worry, it's God's, right? Not a big deal. She has to go tell Joseph now. Joseph, I'm pregnant. Don't worry, I didn't do anything wrong. It's God's. This is what's going on. So now, all of a sudden, in God's perfect timing, hey, we have to go to Bethlehem. And what does the Bible say? That she was heavy with child. Now, I didn't say that, so women don't get mad at me. She was heavy with child. I remember when my wife was heavy with child. And once again, that's the biblical term, don't get mad. And we were driving down this one road, and my wife said, don't ever go on this road again. Because it was bumpy. Mary is heavy with child, riding what? Possibly a a donkey or something to Bethlehem. So now she is heavy with child. And the previous nine months have been, you're pregnant with God's child. i got to tell Joseph. And now we're driving to Bethlehem. Hey, we get there. There's no room at the end. We have to go to a stable, a a manger. And now we're going to have a baby. It was not silent night, holy night at that point. It was a baby being born. That's rough. That's tough. Now, it's the most unclean you can imagine. I remember when Dawn had one of our kids, we had to put a sign on the door in the hospital right after the child was born that said, if you wanted to come in the room, you need to either sanitize or wash your hands. This is at the hospital. Now, before you think that my wife was the first-time mom with a little bit of jitters, this is child number five. She, was, uh, she knew what she was doing. Came home, put the sign on the door. Now, think of Mary, teenager, newly married. Had went through this nine months. She has a baby. That's pretty traumatic. Guess who shows up? Shepherds. Out of nowhere. We want to see the kid. What's going through Mary's mind? So she gets through that. Now time goes on. We don't know days, weeks, months. These guys from the east show up. And they're bringing gifts. This is a lot. I tell you right now, the Christian walk is completely, utterly crazy. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation. You just have no idea what's going to happen one day. You're just along for the ride. And what happens with Mary? What's next? 
I told you Wednesday night here, that's that one of those little phrases that Rich and I have started using. It's like when we get done with one aspect of ministry, it says, Lord, what's next? And it's almost said with a smile. What's going to happen next? Because I just want to represent you, Lord, to a dying world. What's next? So we have to stop and we have to decide which one of these three are we. See, when you hear the presentation of the gospel, that we're sinners... And that it's only through Christ. Jesus is the only one that can pay the debt that you can't pay. It's the only currency accepted in heaven. It says blood. How does that make you feel? Is there a hostility? Do you feel convicted? Are you troubled? Does it bother you? This idea of Jesus is the only way. All this other type of stuff. I'm troubled. You're frustrated spiritually. You know you should be doing something different. You know you should be doing something better. So now you're troubled. Okay, that's Herod. Are you indifferent? It's hot in here. It's 1130. Church is done at 1130. He's still talking. It's indifference. Can't we just go home? I mean, I love the Lord. Can't we just be done? Are you the Magi? Man, I just want to worship you, Lord. What do you want me to do today, Lord? It's not about what you give to me because you've already given me everything. I mean, you've given me everything. There's nothing more that God can give you. He, he, He died for you. He bled for you. He called you. He chose you. The only thing left to do is for us to worship him. There was a church sign I just saw in BG the other day. It said that Mary wrapped the first Christmas present. And what a neat point that is. There's nothing more that God needs to do for us. So we just worship. So here's our final point. We're kind of ending a little quickly here, but we need to get going. I don't know. In my new King James that uses this word, every translation is a little bit differently. But look right here. Look at verse 16. What is Herod's response to Christ? Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. He was exceedingly angry. What is the wise men's response to Christ? Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. See, here's the thing. When you are presented with Jesus, you will either be exceedingly angry, or hopefully your heart is touched and you respond with exceedingly great joy joy. There are three groups, three reactions here to Christmas. Hostility, conviction, frustration, bothered, indifference. Hey, we know where he was born. Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Wise men, go enjoy it. We're going to stay right here. But then there's just the magi of just worship. Wanted nothing, but just wanted to worship the Lord. And I just want to make sure this morning as we're here, that I want you to stop in a second and just say, Lord, where am I in those three groups? Obviously, I I hope that we're in the Magi, the worship. Lord, I'm yours. I want to serve you. I want to love you. If you're hostile towards them, hey, I'll take that too because that means the Holy Spirit is moving and working and I would love to get a chance to talk to you. But the one that concerns us the most is the indifference. I know the truth. I didn't hear anything new here this morning. My lips, I love the Lord. I follow the Lord. But the heart is far from him. So, we need to stop and seek the Lord on that. Because really what it comes down to this Christmas is what is our reaction to what Christ has already done for us. There's nothing more he can do. What is our reaction to that? And that's what we need to determine. That's what we need to say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're here this morning, it is a blessing just to see those kids, to see the people, and just to spend time with you. Lord, I just want to pray for the souls that are here. If there's someone hostile towards you, Lord, just pray your spirit just keeps convicting them in love. The goodness of God leads to repentance, Lord. 
Lord, if they're troubled, just as Herod was troubled, let them know what you can do. My mind just goes to those passages in John where it says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Lord, when you said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled. Lord, I pray you would take that troubled heart and give it the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, if there's someone here that's indifference and their walk with Christ has become a crawl, Lord, show them the passion, the excitement of representing you as an ambassador on this earth. Lord, show them it's not about us, but you. And Lord, I just pray we have a heart of the Magi, that we come to just worship. We come to you for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy. Help us be a light and a witness in all that we say and do in your name. Amen. All right, the worship team has come forward.